Hello, my name is Chris Horton, and this is George. And you're watching Kidlit TV. It's SLJ's Best of 2016 Livestream on Kidlit TV, sponsored by Follett and Scholastic, featuring this year's best picture book, middle grade, nonfiction, and young adult books, and a sneak peek at the top 10 DVDs, audiobooks, apps, and more. And now here's your host, Rocco Steno. Hi, I'm Rocco Steno, and welcome to KidLit TV. I'm really excited today because I have the editors from School Library Journal with the most anticipated announcement of the KidLit year. It's the SLJ Best Book List. Well, welcome, all of you. Yes, so now we're going to find out who these people are before we get into the list. But one thing. We're going to also be congratulating the uh, authors and illustrators, and we're going to be using the hashtag SLJ Best Book Best SLJ Best 2016. So as people as people announce the books, get up your Twitter account and congratulate these people. So I'd like to introduce uh, Kara. Uh, Kara. Parrot, Kara Parrot. Parrot like the bird. Hi, oh, Rocco. Yes. Hey, it's, yes. It's very nice to be here. Yes, and you are the book re the book review editor for LJ. LJ and SLJ, SLJ. that's right, yeah. Yes, and Luann Toth. Luann has, this is your 28th year oh. uh, 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 with the <laughs> yes. list. Yes, yes and this I is a big year because this list has been around for 50 years. It has. Yeah, so, so you must have them, you I've must have some good involved. stories, right? And and Della Farrell, this is your first year doing the lists. Mm -hmm. uh, so how was it? Was it exciting? It was exciting, challenging, but so rewarding. Yes, I loved it. Yeah, and and in the back row over here we have Manaz Star and uh, Ken Turner. Yes, and. Two people are not with us today. Yes, uh, Shelly Diaz. Shelly has a good excuse for not being here. What's the excuse? Shelly just had a beautiful baby girl, so she's out on maternity leave right now. We Hi, miss Shelly. you, Shelly. Love you. And, <laughs> and Daryl Grabarik is finishing her school day. She is an editor at a school librarian in New York City, so she's just finishing her school day, and hopefully she just uh, tuned in uh, to hear us announce the list, but we all know she knows what's on the list, so you're forgiven, Daryl, if you're not uh, not tuning in. So, but uh, but now let's uh, go on back just to talk to Manaz. Manaz, you, I, und oh no, we're going to tell oh, us yes, about yes. the how talk we, about the yeah, how about the list? Yes, we said that this is a good year, 50 years. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the, uh, how, how does this list come about? Um, I went back, I actually looked in the archives of SLJ and I discovered that the first list we ever did was 1966. Um, and just by pure coincidence, um, our list has 66 titles on it this year. We didn't do it on purpose, um, just sort of a happy accident. Um, so every year, the editors um, at SLJ, the review editors, we start usually in the late summer and we look at all of the books that we've reviewed that year. We review almost 6,000 items every 6, single 000. year. It's a lot of material. Um, and we usually start with our stars. So these are the books that have gotten a starred review and they're distinguished in some way. They really sort of rise above. Every month we have meetings to determine of the, all the books being reviewed that month, which are the very best that month. So towards the end of the year, we start with that long list of stars and then each individual editor who's a part of the committee gets to nominate a certain number of titles that we think should be on that sort of master uh, nomination list and we each got to nominate about 20 or 30 depending on the year um, and it seems like a lot each person nominating 20 or 30 books but when you're thinking thousands you know that's actually a small amount um, and then we have our big master nomination list we spend several months reading rereading having lots of discussions um, and debates about 
about the books until finally, um, the end of October, we have a meeting that's a full day long. It's usually off site uh, at a local library and we bring all of the books in, we put them all on the table and we discuss them in chunks. So picture books get discussed, chapter books, middle grade, YA, nonfiction, etc. And then we vote. We actually have paper ballots and we cast our votes um, to, to sort of build a consensus around the titles that we think should stay on that list and you know some of the titles that maybe you know we love but don't quite make that final list. So do you get lunch that day? We do. We, we do break for lunch. Uh, this year we were at the Grand Army Plaza, Brooklyn Public Library we went to. Was it Cheryl's? Very lovely lunch spot. Oh, a shout out for Cheryl's. Yes. And at the end of the program though, full list will be uh, available. That's right. So I think you can even, you'll be able to look right below this little window right here and, and get a free downloadable PDF that'll have all 66 books. So today we're going to talk about some of our highlights, our favorites from the list, um, but we won't have time to talk about every single book, but you'll get them all down below. Well, I'm just going to go in the back to talk to uh, Manaz. So Manaz, were any of the books that you nominated, uh, did they actually make the list? Yes, Rocco, two of my books made the list. The first one is uh, Miss Bixby's Last Day by John David Anderson from HarperCollins. And this is that rare book that's about grief and loss, but also about so much more. It's a real celebration of life. Um, it's about these three boys, and they discover that their beloved teacher, Miss Bixby, is terminally ill. So they decide to cut class and give her a, a tribute. But um, things don't go as planned, hijinks ensue. But uh, ultimately, this is a really heartfelt, poignant, tender book that's going to resonate with both adults and children. And the other? And the other is March, book three by, um, thank you, John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and illustrator Nate Powell. This is the third book in the uh, March trilogy. And this is the, these are the books where um, John Lewis discusses his civil rights experiences. It's simultaneously epic and yet deeply personal. The art is striking, great use of light and dark. And the message of standing up for what you believe in is more timely today than ever before. Well, you know, it's a big uh, week for March because it's one of the finalists for the National Book Awards. So we'll find out on Wednesday if it is the winner. Yes. So, Kent, tell me, uh, tell me about your favorites. Well, let me see. First off is Jason and the Argonauts, written and illustrated by Robert Byrd and published by Dial. Well, first of all, there are the illustrations. They are action-packed, very detailed-oriented. They're epic. And then there's the text, because you have a flying sheep, a multi-headed monster, vengeful gods, you name it. It's pretty irresistible. It's a very good introduction because also within the illustrations are sidebars which explain a bit about the other gods and other myths. There's a good biblio, so it's great for reports, and it's overall a very good introduction. Sounds great. Yes. I can't wait to check it out. And then next I have Sabotage Ooh. by Neil Bascom, and it's published by Scholastic. And the subtitle explains it pretty clearly, The Mission to Destroy Hitler's Atomic Bomb. And the men who are trying to do this, they're everyday Norwegians who enlist in the resistance when Germany invades Norway in 1940. And so they flee to Britain, where they undergo crash, a, a crash course in, spy, in espionage. And so they train how to be spies, and with very low-tech equipment, they fly back to Norway, parachute back in the dead of winter, and wait it out until they get the signal to blow up a hydroelectric plant that is producing heavy water that goes into making the atomic bomb. And then, once their mission is accomplished, they have to figure out how to get back while there is a manhunt after them. So it's very accessible, it's very exciting, and very lucidly described, even though there's a lot of twists and turns. It's um, ideal for history buffs, but also for those who normally don't read history, it, it's a strong choice because of its relation to what else was going on in World War II, and also because of the espionage element. Sounds like it's the makings of a good uh, film. Oh, I think so. And, yeah, and speaking of films, you're, you also serve on the multimedia I, list. I edit the DVD reviews. So can you give us like a, like a little sneak preview of uh, one of the uh, titles on the list? Sure. One is, uh, that is not a good idea. 
and is it's distributed by Western Woods, and it's based on the picture book by Mo Willems. And like a lot of his tales, it's very accessible for a video adaptation. But this one is especially so, because the book is uh, illustrated in the form of almost a silent movie, with title cards and film sprockets on the edges. And so, with the adaptation, you actually see the title cards, and you have film scratches and ragtime music. And it has a silent movie melodramatic plot of Hungry Fox, who is after Plump Goose. Yes. But she is not so gullible as she makes out. And another reason why it's a good choice is because there's a DVD extra called Moe's Team, and it's about the teamwork that goes behind his picture books and also the DVD. So there's Mo Willems, his daughter Trixie, his publisher, and the whole gang. They explain how they work together. Sounds like if you're having a house full of uh, kids uh, for the holidays that you should pick up this uh, DVD. I agree. Yes. So, you know, uh, Kent, I think I am going to uh, steal this book okay. and read it. Oh, it's, uh, oh, it's by Scholastic. So I am going to uh, read this. But okay. th there's some other lists that are still not finished. So I understand you and Manaz are going to be working on them right now. <laughs> okay, thanks so much. Well, that's great. So exciting to get some of these titles. But uh, wait, there's so many more titles. There are a lot. So I think we're going to start with picture books um, and just talk about a few of our favorites. Great. Can't wait. Um, I choose three um, of my favorites. And these all three uh, seem to focus on how kids learn to navigate their worlds. And the first one is called School's First Day of School. This is by Adam Rex and illustrated by the uh, brilliant Christian Robinson. Um, we've seen dozens of books over the years uh, talk about kids' first day of school, but this quite uh, is unique in that it is from the, the school building's first day of school. This is the Frederick Douglass Elementary School, and it's brand spanking new. And he's a little anxious, worried about what's going to happen when the kids all arrive. Are they going to be comfortable there, are they going to like it, they're going to, you know, have fun, and uh, there's a, a lot goes on in the course of a day, as a, for any first day of school, it's a big day, but ultimately, um, spoiler alert, they're all welcome to come back again the next day. Uh, the art is just great fun, and uh, it's a super choice. And something that all kids probably can relate to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And the publisher? Oh, uh, this is by Roaring Brook. Yes. Great. Yes. The next book up is called I Hear a Pickle and Smell and See and Touch and Taste It Too. And it's written and illustrated by Rachel Isadora. And this was published by Penguin. Um, this is a sensory exploration of a toddler's world. As you can see, every one of the senses is touched on there. And uh, uh, Rachel Isadora is renowned for her drawings of adorable little munchkins. And you can, this is a good example of, of course, the sense of touch. And uh, they are shown engaging throughout the book with their uh, families and, and the natural world. And, Figuring out all all the wonderful things that are uh, that they're going to encounter and what not to touch as well. <laughs> and so uh, it's the ultimate simple engaging concept book for the youngest audiences. And the third selection I've chosen chosen Frank and Lucky Get Schooled, and this is written and illustrated by the marvelous Lynn Ray Perkins, and it's published by Green Willow. In this book, a boy and his dog explore their environment and together reinforce the finer points of mathematics, geography, chemistry, taxonomy, history, and art that they've been introduced to in their respective classes. They've both gone to school, and uh, <laughs> it's quite humorous and, uh, and fun. And Perkins' pen and ink and watercolor vignettes capture the vivacious and 
funny real world applications of these lessons that the boy, uh, one boy's education that he has, uh, is, is going through with the help of his loyal canine sidekick. For dog lovers, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And Della, you're up with one of my favorites this year. Mm -hmm. I have here Brendan Wenzel's They All Saw a Cat from Chronicle. Um, Wenzel takes such a simple premise, you know, what does a cat look like to all the different creatures it encounters, whether it's a child, a fox, a fish, and he just takes readers on just this wonderful exploration of perspective and how um, everybody kind of sees something differently. And the um, art is just highly imaginative and the text is rhythmic and straightforward and it's really great for sharing. Um, with groups and for programming ideas about storytelling. It's just wonderful. Um, well, we have one for dog lovers, and now that's yeah. one for cat lovers, yes. Um, and then next up, I have the endlessly entertaining um, Rudas Ninos Horrendous Hermanitas, um, written and illustrated by Juji Morales from Neil Porter Books. And this is just so much fun. Um, Morales is really great at, you know, finding the humor in sibling rivalry. Um, readers will love at such um, humorous takedowns as the poopy bomb blowout. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and then they'll cheer once Nino, he is ultimately, very cleverly, the victor. Um, the art is just so vibrant. It's so alive. Um, yeah, I think. Everyone will get a kick out of this. <laughs> I understand there's a few Neil Porter books on the list this year. There is isn't more Yes. Well, they have to check the list at the end. Neil, you have to check the list at the end of the show <laughs> to find, which out, find out which ones. And last but not least for me, um, from a small publisher, Flying Eye Press, I have The Journey by Francesca Sana. And this is such a... I mean, talk about a timely book. This is essential reading. Um, it begins with a girl and her family, and she's looking back over a year in which their once peaceful nation has come to war, and they must leave. They must find refuge somewhere else. And so with sparse but evocative text and really deep and graphic illustrations, Sana just tells this story. It's heartbreaking, but it's hopeful. And um, I couldn't think of a better work that's more appropriate for this time. Della, what publisher again? Oh, uh, Flying Eye Books. Flying Eye Books. Okay, mm -hmm. great. And I've got two picture books that great. I wanted to highlight. Uh, the first one is We Found a Hat by John Classen. Um, so in this book, we have two uh, tortoises uh, who, who find a 10-gallon hat, and they both really want it. Um, and as we've seen in previous books by John Classen involving uh, hats, hat. um, right. you know, there's this sort of central moral dilemma. You know, I want this thing. I think I might steal it. Should I steal it? And then what happens when you make that decision? Um, and so there's the signature sort of understated humor and cleverness. There's that play between um, what the text is saying and what the illustrations are showing you as a reader, which is always really fun. But what I, what I sort of fell in love with on, on, about this hat book by John Classen was the optimism and, and the sort of tenderness at the end um, that despite maybe some of our baser instincts, sometimes um, people, and, and in this case tortoises, um, can do the selfless thing um, and can, can make the right choice even when no one's watching. Um, so it, it got into my heart, this particular book this year. So another hat genre book. Another, yes, <laughs> another hat book. Um, and my other book is The White Cat and the Monk, uh, written by Joe Ellen Boggart, illustrated by Sydney Smith. This is from a, a Canadian publisher, uh, Groundwood. Uh -huh. um, and this is sort of a, a quieter, more contemplative story. Um, it's told, uh, the text is a retelling of a very old Irish poem. And the first opening sequences are, are wordless, and it almost feels like a graphic novel. It uses um, sequential art uh -huh. and sequences. Um, and the illustrations here are just luminous. I mean, we're, we're in a monastery and there's sort of two journeys happening. There's the, the journey of this cat making its way through the darkened hallways. And then later on we see the monk. He's on his own sort of journey, um, a journey for meaning, a, a journey for truth as he's illuminating his manuscript. Oh, look at um, that. 
It is, it is just a beautiful book, and I think what I loved about it is it, is it sort of makes viewers slow down and appreciate each page, um, each word, and, um, and the sort of uh, gratitude at the end of the book, the gratitude for a new day, and that the, the journey is sort of the point. So where are we going now? I think we'll take a trip through middle grade land. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Yes, so middle grade chapter books, mm -hmm. and right, yes. Um, we had some really wonderful middle grade this year, but I'm gonna start off with a chapter book. Um, this is from Gecko Press, A Complicated Case by Woof Nielsen, illustrated by Spee. And it's originally, it was published in Swedish and it was translated by Julia Marshall. Um, this is just a wonderful book. It's um, there's a bully in the forest, and Detective Gordon and his young protege, Buffy, are on the case. Um, readers will love the bumbling Gordon, and they will you know, sympathize with the attentive Buffy as they try to figure out who is the bully. And um, the artwork is just really graceful, and there's just all these little Easter eggs, little hints throughout the book. So readers will return to this again and again. Um, yes. Uh, and next up, I have Nikki Grimes' Garvey's Choice from Wordsong. Um, That's an imprint of Boyd's Mills, yes, right? Yes, it is. Um, this was a favorite of mine. Um, Garvey, is, he's a sensitive young man. You know, he, he'd rather read and think about space than do anything athletic, um, which is just the opposite of what his father wants. Um, but a chance chorus recital presents a turning point in their relationship. And using Tonka, uh, Grimes just, she creates this portrait of a family that's it's so deeply intimate, but at the same time, it's really accessible. You know, readers will recognize themselves right away. And you know, Grimes, her focus on small but powerful transformations, it's, it's inspiring. And I don't know, it's, it's a compact, but um, really wonderful read. And last but not least, I have um, Peter Brown's debut middle grade novel, uh, The Wild Robot from Little Brown. And so it begins with Roz, a robot. Uh, she mysteriously arrives on, in, on an island, and there's some speculation as to whether or not she can you know, adapt to this new ecosystem, if she can join the animals and live among them. And even though relationships and trust grow, the question remains. Um, with you know, there's throughout the book, Brown has these little black and white, um, little black and white illustrations that are just wonderful. And this is a book that will really allow readers to contemplate, you know, technology, life, death, um, the future of the natural world. Um, it's just chock. It's very philosophical, um, but still accessible and just a great read. So Peter Brown fans, if they haven't checked out yes. his middle grade book, they really should. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of sort of philosophical books, I've got a few that I picked. Um, my first middle grade pick is Pax by oh, Sarah right. Pennypacker. Yeah. I know it, um, yes. Uh, published by HarperCollins. And so, you know, for those who haven't read this book or heard about it, I definitely recommend having like some Kleenex or tissues mm -hmm. nearby because it is it is an emotional read, um, as it should be. Um, it's the story, um, sort of uh, on its surface, it's a story of, of, of a boy and his beloved pet fox who are separated. So it's, you know, a reconciliation story. It's about, you know, these two different characters and we meet them in alternating chapters, um, trying to find their way back to one another in a world that's at war, um, a world that's uncertain and full of danger and violence. And it's really about how we survive and how we find hope and how we find support and love um, um, amidst maybe some scary times. Um, so this was a book that um, I, I think it's just rare because we, we don't see the, those sorts of themes and concepts um, explored in middle grade very often and with such respect for the emotional intelligence of, of young readers. So that was one of my favorites and it's got just really haunting illustrations by John Klassen uh, throughout. 
Um, my next pick for middle grade um, is The Inquisitor's Tale, uh, written by Adam Gidwitz. Oh, yes. Um, with gorgeous uh, illumination. We have another oh. uh, nod to illuminated manuscripts um, by Hatem Ali, um, published by Penguin. And this, you know, it's France. It's, you know, the, the Middle Ages in France, uh, religious discord and the Inquisition. Not, you know, what most people would think were the most exciting, accessible subject matter for middle grade readers. Um, but in the hands of Gidwitz, who we know is just a masterful, masterful storyteller with um, impeccable attention to historical research and detail, but also a lot of humor. And, and just, it's, it's complex, the narrative. It's sort of stories within stories. You have different narrators telling piece of, of different characters' um, tales and legends. Um, but you also have, you know, like farting dragons and oh, cheese really? and a <laughs> resurrected, <Adam. laughs> yes, exactly, a resurrected zombie dog. You know, there's all these things that, you know, uh, you know sophisticated reader readers will, will find something to love. But even reluctant readers who may you know, not have thought they wanted to read about medieval France will suddenly find something to love. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'd want to uh, go up to the cloisters. We'll right. Let's talk about manuscripts. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. yes. Perfect. Perfect tie in. <laughs> um, and finally, um, the last book that I uh, wanted to highlight from our middle grade list is The Girl Who Drank the Moon mm -hmm. by Kelly Barnhill, uh, which is published by Algonquin. And this is a somewhat dark and just really um, just lovely fairy tale. And it takes place in, in a realm called the Protectorate. And every year, um, the people of the Protectorate make an offering. They take a baby from its family, from the parents, and they snatch the baby and they, they leave it in the woods as a sacrifice to the evil witch. Um, and, and they believe that this protects them and, and keeps them safe for another year. Um, unbeknownst to them, the evil baby-eating witch is actually not evil at all, and she's a very good witch. And every year she happens to find these abandoned babies um, and cares for them, and she feeds them starlight to keep them well and healthy, and then she delivers them to um, loving families in far-flung places of the kingdom. Um, but this year, the, the, the baby's a little unusual, and she finds herself sort of drawn um, in an interesting way to this child, and she accidentally feeds the child moonlight instead of sunlight. And that has interesting repercussions and sort of imbues this baby with some phenomenal powers. So it's about um, her raising this child and then how she has to sort of help this child um, find her own um, with these powers. The title again? The title again is The Girl Who Drank the Moon by yes. Kelly Barnhill. Oh. Okay. And now to Luann. Yeah. Yes. And I had some favorites. I chose three books, and all three of mine are distinguished by a very strong narrative voice. And um, these are middle grade books that deal with complex and serious uh, topics, but with warm, engaging humor. And uh, they spoke to me. So the first one is Ramey Nightingale by the... Uh, one and only Kate DiCamillo. Surprise, no, not surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and this will have readers laughing and crying and rooting for its baton twirling protagonist. Um, Raimi takes up twirling in an attempt to distinguish herself and she has high hopes of actually winning the Little Miss Central Florida tire competition and by doing so attract the attention of her father who has recently left the family. And um, twirling is more challenging than she thought it might be, but she um, ends up forming uh, some unlikely friendships with two of her competitors and they are all coping with some sort of loss and so they have several adventures together and really form a tight bond. And, you know, Kate DiCamillo's characters are just so rich and um, wonderful and involving. This is a, just a, a sensitive, lovely novel that's filled with a lot of heart and hope. I understand that the sale of batons has increased since this book has come out. <laughs> well, I've certainly gotten mine. <laughs> And next, next, another familiar name. Another familiar name and a wonderful book called The Best Man by the inimitable Richard Peck. And this is a book about a boy who is looking to the men in his life uh, as role models. Um, and he's looking to his father, his grandfather, 
his gay uncle, and his, uh, one of his teachers. These are people he holds in very high esteem. And he's trying to figure out just how to, how to grow up and survive middle school and become the kind of man he wants to be. And um, as only Richard Peck can do, it's told with just sparkling wit and, and just outrageously funny uh, dialogue and uh, just a terrific read. Dial. Dial, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, no, no. by Dial. That's yes. why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rocco. <laughs> Trying to remember everything. Um, next up is uh, a, a book called As Brave As You by Jason Reynolds and published by Simon & Schuster. And this is, I can't say enough about this book. I just love this book. Uh, it is also an engaging book with the, the, the main character is nine and his brother uh, is his older brother. And the two boys, these are, they're boys from Brooklyn who have been sent to rural Virginia to spend uh, a month or so with their grandparents while they're parents go off and work on their marriage. So these, they, these kids have never really met these people and uh, they certainly have never been asked to do farm chores and uh, pick peas and things like that. And believe it or not, they found a place, they live in a place where there is no internet. OMG, so, yes, oh my. Yes. <laughs> So Jeannie, the main character, is having a rough time trying to figure everything out because he has lots of questions and he needs lots of answers. So, um, but the first thing they figure out is that their grandfather is blind and he goes to great lengths to cover up his uh, disability. Uh, and it's, uh, it's filled with just uh, family drama and uh, but uh, just a great coming of age story that I think is really going to resonate with a lot, a lot of readers. And um, uh, there is uh, some estrangement, from bet obviously, between the boy's father and the grandfather, and it all comes together in a really wonderful way. Yes. Well, we've had picture books, we've had middle grade books, so there's more to come. We have YA and nonfiction, but before we do that, we have a word from our sponsor. So we'll be right back. Coming up next, nonfiction and YA on SLJ's Best of 2016 live stream here on Kidlet TV. Hi, I'm Amy Dykeman. And I'm Zach O'Hara. And you're watching Kidlet, Kidlet TV. TV. Librarians just need to step up to the plate, think forward, always have a vision because I think that's really important and always be one step ahead of the game. Learn to lead beyond the library. Brought to you by Follett's Project Connect, this free professional development course designed exclusively for librarians teaches you how to emerge as a leader in your school and district. You should be the leaders of the schools and be full-time in every building and just to help everyone learn and become connected and innovative. Take the next step in educational leadership. Get future ready with the Project Connect micro-credential program today. Welcome back to the SLJ's Best of 2016 live stream here on Kidlet TV.
Well, I know that the folks out there can't wait to hear some of the books on the uh, YA uh, list. So let's get right to it. Let's get to it. Um, so there was so much good YA this year. It was, mm -hmm. it was tough to pare it down. But I'm going to talk about three books that um, were just really special for me. The first one is The Reader um, by Tracy Chi, published by Putnam. And first of all, this is a debut novel, which is astonishing. Um, the, the, the quality of her writing, the complex narrative structure, um, that, that she um, uses in this novel. The diversity and nuance of the characters is, I, I, I was shocked to find that this was her first book. Um, I think that she's a rising star. So in Sephia's world, um, it's a world without books. It's a world without reading. I know. Who can believe, right? Horrifying. Yes. Um, and Sephia's father um, has been murdered. Her beloved um, aunt has been kidnapped. And all, the only clue that she has is this very odd rectangular object. Spoiler alert, it's a book. <laughs> um, and, and so, you have book earrings. And I guess, right, I have book earrings today. Um, so this is, this is definitely a book for book lovers in many right. ways because it's, it, like I said, the narrative um, structure is very complex. There's stories within stories within stories. There are almost these little like Easter egg clues hidden throughout the novel that usually on the first read you probably won't pick up. Um, so it is the kind of book that when you finish, you kind of want to go back to page one and read it again and look for those clues. Um, and it's just it's 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 magical and it's and it's a beautiful story about the power of words that we know words have meaning books have meaning um, these things are important and books change lives um, so it was it was one that I truly loved um, the other book now for something completely different um, that I wanted to talk about on our YA list is a book called Scythe uh, by Neil Schusterman uh, published by Simon & Schuster uh, so just when you think, you know, you can't do another dystopian YA mm -hmm. novel, um, In Schusterman comes with not a dystopia, actually, but a utopia. Um, and that's what's so fascinating about this particular book is it looks at what if, what if the world um, was perfect? You know, what if we could eradicate war and poverty and inequity um, and, and, and have everything run perfectly? And, and so he posits a world where that is not um, organized by humans, because humans are flawed, but by a perf perfected artificial intelligence called the Thunderhead. And in this distant, distant future, um, the world is perfect and there's no disease, there's no death. The only problem um, is potentially overpopulation. So there's a sanctioned uh, group of people called scythes who uh, kill and they call uh, the population. And the two main characters are two teens who are apprenticed with a scythe, and they're learning um, the art of, of, of doing this, this sanctioned killing. And so it's a book about uh, morality, mortality. It's a book about violence and about choice um, and, and the repercussions of, of, of taking a life. It's fascinating, and it's going to be part um, of a series. Uh, it's unputdownable. And Neil uh, won the National Book Award uh, last year, and it sounds like he hasn't disappointed yes. this year either. Not letting us down at all. And another one. And my final book uh, that I wanted to highlight from our YA list is We Are the Ants uh, oh. by Sean Hutchinson. Oh, terrific. Yes, he was at the SLJ Summit. That's right. He was at the SLJ Summit, gave a wonderful talk, which we're hoping will be up online shortly at slj.com. Yes. You want to check it out. Um, so uh, in this book, yeah, tell us. the premise is, um, is a little unusual. So the premise is you've got this kid, Henry, and he has been abducted by aliens um, repeatedly since he's about 13 years old. And now I think he's about 17 or so in the book. Uh, when he's abducted this time, the aliens uh, tell him that the world will be destroyed in 144 days. It's happening. It's getting destroyed. But he, and he alone, has the power to save the world, and all he has to do is press this button. Um, and so the book, and the central question for the book and for Henry is, will he save the world? Um, and Henry looks around, and he sees a world that's maybe not deserving of being saved. He sees his grandmother um, being lost to the ravages of Alzheimer's. He sees his mother struggling to keep the family together. He's devastated by the recent suicide of his boyfriend. Um, and he sees a world that maybe doesn't deserve to have that button pushed. So I won't tell you the decision that Henry makes, but it's unforgettable and it's a read that just kind of stays with you. Mm. Luann. Yes. We all know that Luann loves YA, <laughs> and I have some good ones for you. Um, and whereas I chose 
sort of voice-driven books for the middle grade. Um, these books are really about place and very atmospheric. And the first one is called The Lie Tree by Frances Hardinge. And this uh, takes place in uh, Victorian uh, England. Um, and it is about a, a young girl who is very, very curious and, and uh, intellectually curious and wants to do everything and find out the same things that her, her scientist father uh, does. And she's constantly trying to seek his attention and, and, uh, and have him recognize her, her intelligence. And uh, as it turns out, um, he ends up being killed very quickly uh, uh, after they have moved to a small remote island and uh, she's convinced that he's been murdered and so she has been exploring his uh, his uh, his records and his his research and she has come across his most secret and special specimen he has a lie tree that feeds on lies it thrives when you feed it lies, and when the fruit of this tree is eaten, it you are it speak nothing but the truth. Oh. So it's a it's a very intriguing per, uh, pr uh, premise, and it's just full of atmospheric and uh, it, it's a lot about um, many many things, but. Uh, the, the role of women in this society and, and oppression of, and, and, and truth, you know, the, the, the quality of truth. And uh, it's a, a, a super read. You cannot put it down. But the author start. is British? Yes. Right, and it's published by Abrams, right? Correct. Yes. yes. Oh, terrific. My next book is called Highly Illogical Behavior, and this is by John Corey Whaley. Oh, you we might recognize right. his yeah, name. Yeah. And this is one of the quirkier books of the year, but it is about a young man, who, uh, a, a teenager, who has a, a, a kind of a serious problem. He has not left his home in three years. He is just prone to very de debilitating panic attacks and anxiety. But uh, you think, uh, given the fact that he uh, has such an isolated existence, that he, you know, he might be pretty miserable. He's actually pretty happy. He uh, he has a good life. He is home uh, homeschooled. He gets everything he needs from his parents. He is uh, he has uh, he's a Star Trek aficionado. He uh, finds lots of uh, stimulating things on the internet to uh, keep him engaged in, in the world at his, his own. He, he doesn't want to uh, take drugs or, or you know, go through the, the therapy that uh, he has found just, just too debilitating. So anyway, he has, um, he, uh, this existence goes on until there is a, one of his former classmates decides that she is going to save him and bring him out back out into the world. And she insinuates herself in, in, in his life and, uh, and uh, tries to uh, bring about some changes. And it, it is warm and tender. It is funny. It is heartbreaking too because he ultimately acknowledges that he does have a real problem. And, uh, but the solution might just surprise you. It's not exactly oh. what you'd call highly logical. <laughs> <laughs> and that's by dial, right? Yes, yes, that is. And this last book is called Burn Baby Burn. Burn Baby Burn. And this Burn. is a favorite, and this is a special shout out to Shelley and to Daryl, both of whom were very fond of this <laughs> book as well. Now, this book takes place in 1977 in New York, and um, many uh, of our people may not remember 1977 all that I well. Do. Yes, yes. That happened to be the, the summer that there was a serial killer known as the Son of Sam, and he was randomly shooting people. So it was a very terrifying time. And there was, um, it was also the summer of the major blackout oh, in New York right. City. Yes, but uh, this is about a, a young uh, a teenager from Queens who is having some serious 
She's uh, nervous, of course, by all the news that is out there, but she, it turns out, is probably in greater danger by some of the uh, actions of her, her, her brother, who is involved in illicit drug sales and, uh, and is engaging in some dangerous behavior. So it's a rather intense story, but it's also a great uh, friendship story and a, uh, and a, a solid um, coming of age, you know, story in, in, in a dark and gritty time. So you really are steeped in, in the history of the city. And even those, those uh, people who uh, have come to New York later would, are, are, wouldn't recognize the New York City that, that is described in these pages, but it's, uh, it, it is a compelling read. Meg Medina, Meg Medina and Candlewick, right, Candlewick. and about a gritty time in New York City. Everyone refers to the 70s as a gritty time in New York, yes. Oh, Della, what do you have? <laughs> I, know, I know you have one book that I really have, two books that I'm happy. Yes. Well, anyway, um, go ahead. <laughs> the titles that I picked for YA um, all feature really strong characters who faced um, devastating you know, unthinkable circumstances, but they struggle to survive and to have their voices be heard. Um, and I'll open with Rudas Cepedes' uh, Salt to the Sea. Um, it's her historical, it's historical fiction and uh, it's from Philomel. And it's um, centered on the real life sinking of the Wilhelm Gusseldorf, Gusloff, sorry, <laughs> um, at the close of World War II. Um, she follows a group of refugees um, that are attempting to flee East Prussia um, in advance of Stalin's uh, army. And um, she uses these really short chapters and concise writing to alternate among viewpoints and to um, create an incredible amount of tension and suspense. Um, it's a really thrilling but eye-opening read. I always enjoy Ruta's books because they're always so well-researched and you yes. learn about history that you really don't know. So yeah, the, you know, I'm, I'm glad this book is on the list. You mm -hmm. did a good job picking that. <laughs> um, and then, but traveling back to the present, I have Louise O'Neill's uh, Asking For It from Queerkiss. Um, it features Emma, Emma O'Donovan, is an 18-year-old uh, girl living in a small Irish town. Um, she's very typical. You know, she tends to oscillate between uh, really thoughtfulness and then moments of downright mean girl style behavior. Um, but when she's sexually assaulted by four you know, good guys at a party, um, she's shunned by her community and becomes an object of rumor and hatred. Um, and while the ending may shock and even anger readers, um, this is a fantastic book to engage teens in discussions on consent, social media, and rape culture. It's a great read. And now back to the past, um, to 13th century France to be specific, um, is Julie Berry's uh, historic, historical fiction title, The Passion of Dulce um, from Viking. And so for The Passion of Dulce, you take a young noblewoman who, is, who believes she's in communion with God, um, three sisters, three talented sisters who are also double as tavern wenches, and a friar hell-bent on rooting out heretics. And you get a really um, complex and extraordinary book. Uh, Barry explores the depth and um, complexity of female friendship and the importance of women's voices. You know, Dulce's refusal to be silent in the 13th century France is relevant then as it is today. And uh, one of my favorite titles all year. Oh, terrific. Oh, well, a tavern wench, or three tavern yeah, wenches. Yeah, three tavern oh, wenches. Oh, my. <laughs> This is, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a brick of a book. I mean, it looks enormous, but I just breezed through it. I mean, I read it in less than a day mm -hmm. because it's that compelling. Yeah. Well, when you have 6,000 books a year, <laughs> right. you have to go through them in a day, yes. <laughs> yeah, now, now onto my favorite genre, nonfiction, yes. Um, I'm up first, and uh, this is one of my top titles of the year. It's called Radiant Child. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, by Javaka Steptoe, written and illustrated. And it is the story of a young Jean-Michel Basquiat, the artist. 
And uh, it is told uh, just uh, in, a, in a beautiful way and illustrated. You can sort of get an, an, uh, an impression from the, the cover by found objects um, that uh, Javaka Steptoe uh, has put together just walking the very same neighborhoods and streets where Basquiat um, traveled and, and uh, made his art and became famous. So uh, it is just a, a terrific um, early picture book biography. Yes, by uh, Little Brown is the publisher. Little Brown mm -hmm. is yes. the publisher. I'm sorry. No, I that's okay. As I said, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why you're here. Okay. That's right. Next up is Some Writer, the story of E.B. White. And this is oh. written and illustrated by Melissa Sweet. Oh. And it's published by HMH Harcourt. Houghton Harcourt. Anyway, this is the a marvelous biography of the beloved author um, of, of Charlotte's Web and uh, Stuart Little and Trumpet of the Swan, to name a few, but it's, it's his entire life. And uh, she, uh, uh, Melissa Sweet, tells it in, in uh, a beautiful way and uh, captures uh, his love of nature and his, uh, his first and foremost, his reverence for the, 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 the written word and, and the English language, and even includes uh, some of his work on the elements of style. Mm -hmm. And uh, she uh, puts this together with uh, photographs and, um, and Primary manuscript so, pages. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she did right there. tons and tons of research oh, and had great yes, access to the family and Spider. to the... Charlotte. Right yes, <laughs> yes, the drawings, the, some of the Garth Williams illustrations from the, from the books. And then um, it, it also interspersed throughout are her beautiful assemblages and, and collage uh, artwork. And there are little sections throughout that are, are, are taken from the various works. It is a completely engaging and wonderful tribute to... Uh, a master. This recently came out, I yes. would think, in October, yes. right? Yes. yes, it did. And last but not least is Echo, oh. Echo. And this follows on the heels of Mirror, Mirror and Follow, Follow. Um, these are uh, by Marilyn Singer and illustrated by Jose Mas. And these are published by um, I, Dial. Dial. I should know these things. Uh, and this, these feature, this is the other title that Kent had mentioned earlier about the, uh, the, the Greek myths. And these feature the, the device of the reverso poem. Now, do you know what a reverso poem is? I actually do know what a reverso poem because I actually was at the preview for this book when Marilyn uh, actually was there and on the SLJ website there's a little video of Marilyn doing reversal oh, poems. Well, but explain, but explain what it is. Yes, the, the, the uh, use of one, here you go, and you use the same words going down this way and then when you reverse it and turn it this way for an alternative point of view. So, um, and it the wonderful stories of King Midas and his daughters and other Greek myths lend themselves to the, the, the different points of view and are just very rich fodder for the, uh, the, the reverso technique. And I think for a teacher too with a class to also use this book and then have uh, your students try to do a reverso oh, poem. Well, yes. it's, it's harder it's than it looks. Yes. <laughs> So, for nonfiction, I have first up is from Holiday House, I have Russell Friedman's Vietnam. Um, Friedman, he definitely distills the complexity of the Vietnam War for a middle grade audience. And he really focuses on how peace uh, potentially could have been achieved, um, but ignorance, pride, and a total lack of respect um, prevailed instead. 
And while major battles and offenses are discussed, um, Friedman really focuses on the politics of the war, um, including you uh, when it was initially colonized by the French and then leading up to more recent um, you know, events, John Kerry's um, returning there and yeah. And he always uses photographs so well yes. in his book. It goes all the way back to uh, like 1988 when he got the mm -hmm. uh, the Newberry for Lincoln of right. photobiography. Right. And, and here, here he is with Vietnam. That's terrific to see mm -hmm. him on the list. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the younger crowd, um, for about preschoolers and elementary students, we have Best in Snow by April Pulisayer. Uh, photographs by her too. And this is from Beach Lane, Simon & Schuster Beast. Beach Lane. Um, and this is a photographic exploration of the water cycle in a winter landscape. And it begins very quietly with a freeze. And then a breeze, a cloud. And it ends with a squirrel and a snowflake landing on a squirrel's nose. And it's adorable, but it's also just, you know, the combination of her lyrical an economical verse with these just really exquisite photographs is superb. And um, it's just the perfect title for STEM-related, either one-on-one -on -one or in group read-alouds. And that's a Simon & Schuster imprint, uh, Beach, uh, yes, Beach Lane? Beach Lane, yes. Beach Lane, yes. Uh, and last but not least um, is uh, Gail Jarrow's Bubonic Panic, uh, When Plague Invaded America, from uh, Boyd Mills' imprint, Calkins Creek. Um, the reinsurgence of the bubonic plague in, early, in San Francisco in the earliest 20th century uh, was not limited to just sickness and death, uh, but also fear, isolation, and xenophobia. Um, Jarrow expertly researches the science, history, and politics um, behind the outbreak and its impact on U.S. history uh, for middle schoolers. You know, kids will come for the really gross uh, photos of mm -hmm. Um, infected body parts right. and rats, uh, but they'll stay for the riveting story. I heard uh, Gail speak about mm -hmm. her research uh, for this book, and it's really, besides you were mentioning the photos, <laughs> it's a really very interesting story. Yes. And, and now it's you. Yeah, a few you. more, yes. more nonfiction titles. And no more hiccups, that's yeah, right. Hopefully not. Yes. Um, so I have a couple nonfiction books that I wanted to highlight. The first one is called Jazz Day, The Making of a Famous Photograph by Roxanne Orgel, um, illustrations by Francis Vallejo, um, published by Candlewick. And so this is such a unique book. It is the true story um, about how Art Kane, who was a graphic designer at, I believe, Esquire magazine in the 50s, um, they were working on this special golden age of jazz uh, feature or supplement, and uh, he decided, wouldn't it be really cool if we can get like all of these living jazz legends together for one iconic photograph. We'll get them all together in Harlem in front of a brownstone. Um, great idea, but the reality of making that happen, of course, is way more complicated. Um, and so what Orgel does is tell this story um, through poems, through verse. And you've got all of these amazing jazz legends, everyone from Count Basie um, to uh, Duke Ellington, um, and, and just amazing musicians, and, and you have these different sort of, it's almost like a kaleidoscopic telling. You have these different voices um, from these famous jazz, jazz legends, but also, um, you know, regular, regular kids um, in the neighborhood. There's this one spread uh, with a little girl looking out the top floor of a brownstone down at the photograph, you know, sort of like waiting for it to be over so they can go out and play on the street. Um, and the illustrations are just incredible and vibrant. Um, this is the kind of book that I feel like you can use in so many different ways. You know, you can look at it from the perspective of poetry and attack it through like in a poetry lesson or mm -hmm. unit. Um, you could um, look at it through the lens of American history, specifically of um, Harlem, um, the jazz era. You will probably want to go to YouTube and, and look up some of these amazing songs and, and watch some of these performers. Um, and there's, of course, the biographical um, information too about all of these, these people. So. This is a special book. I think it's a unique one and such a celebration uh, of, uh, of this, this little special moment in time. And the actual photograph that Art Kane took is in the back. Oh, so great. you can then go I, back I and match up. That. Yeah. Oh, terrific. You have uh, to start with, this, these are the days before Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> right, when right, it wasn't right. easy. Yeah. Yes.
Um, and next up is um, a book by uh, a smaller publisher, Little B. It's called Freedom in Congo Square, written by Carol Boston Weatherford with um, just glorious illustrations by R. Gregory Christie. And, um, you know, this is a book that I think is just unique and, and so important. We've, we've seen over the last couple years um, different picture books sort of try to tell the history or uh, about American slavery or to tackle the subject. And as we know, that's a very hard mm -hmm. thing to do um, and do it right. Um, and this book, um, it takes place in New Orleans um, on a plantation and it takes you through a week of the lives of the enslaved people, people who were enslaved on a plantation. Um, and the, the work um, that they had to do, and there you can see through the illustrations um, a recognition of their lives and a respect for the reality of their lives. Um, and what was unique at this time in New Orleans, which was not the case in many other places, um, was half days on Sundays. Mm -hmm. um, enslaved people um, were permitted to go to a place called Congo Square and gather, and it was a marketplace. It was a place where they made music and sang and celebrated um, and celebrated their own uh, tribal uh, cultures. Um, and and so it's, it's, it's got that very uh, unique balance between the reality of slave life with the respect um, for the history for a young audience. Um, and there's a foreword, there's also an author's note that talks a little bit more about Congo Square, about the law, um, and, and about the lives of the people then. Um, so that is... And this book was just named a best illustrated Illustrate. book for the New York Times. Yeah, and you yes. can see why. I mean, the illustration yes. is just, just incredible. Yeah. Um, and finally, I wanted to just mention, if, if you know me, you know I've been talking about this book since it came out. It is The Borden Murders by Sarah <laughs> Miller. Um, and this is the true story of Lizzie Borden. And, you know, a lot of us know, like, the that terrible rhyme, rhyme right. right? Lizzie Borden took an axe, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Gave her father 40 wax, et cetera. Um, and it's the true story of, um, of their murder. It's the murder of her father and her step mother and um, and how she was put on trial right. uh, for their murder, um, this young woman. And what's fascinating is, first of all, the pacing is incredible. I mean, if you're a fan of serial and things like that, it's every chapter you're sort of in a different headspace. You know, you start out thinking, oh, she's totally guilty. She did it. And then Miller unfolds a little bit more evidence or a little bit more context about the time. And then you're like, Oh, no, no, she did. I don't know. It's the media. They were totally biased against her um, because she wasn't conforming to feminine ideals of the time or, wh or what have you. Um, so it is it is it is absolutely engrossing, beautifully researched. And 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 if and if you like, um, you know, a, a really definitive ending, you're not going to like this book because it, it respects the fact that history is, you know, is told by, you know, sort of the and winners she, and, and, you, and right. you have to sort of take the media in context. And, and she, and and she lived to be quite old, right? She did. She did indeed. Yeah, and, and the publisher of that book? Um, that is... Oh, well... Schwartz and Wade. Oh, Schwartz and Wade. House. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes, we don't want to... Yes, our friends at Schwartz and Wade. Yes, so uh, 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 those are our... All our nonfiction yes, books? Well, but we're not finished. <laughs> there is more. But before the more, we have another word from our sponsor. We'll see you in a minute. Glaciers made them gasp. Elephants made them giggle. Now with exciting new titles, even more students can be delighted by the same jaw-dropping interactive discovery platform, Lightbox. These new Follett exclusive titles support the lessons we know you're teaching. Middle school topics like forces in motion, biological adaptations, the solar system, and ancient empires and civilizations. Your high school students will love to learn about the Civil War and explore the impact of climate change using Lightbox. There's even Spanish titles. And imagine the same interactive experience for classic literature. In Follett's exclusive Lightbox Literature Studies, students can hear from Harper Lee, discover Macomb County and the streets Scout may have walked into Kill a Mockingbird, or immerse themselves in Orwell's 1984 and Shakespeare's Macbeth. Discover why students and teachers love Follett's award-winning Lightbox. I am Peter H. Reynolds, and I am author of The Dot. 
and you are watching Kidlit TV. Welcome back to the SLJ's Best of 2016 live stream here on Kidlit TV. We're back, and I understand the Twitterverse has been just lighting up with the hashtag SLJBest2016, but that's, this is, these books are only a, just a small number of the 66 best books, but there are other things that are best this year. That's right. Yeah, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the full list of the 66 uh, best books of the year uh, are available for download right now below. You can get that. Um, but also we have some other great lists coming very soon. So one of them is our best adult books for teens. Um, and this is a column that we do all through the year. We review um, our, our columnists, uh, Mark Flowers and Sarah Hill, review grown-up books, adult books that are appropriate uh, for high schools and, and teen readers. Uh, so they have selected their favorites from the entire year. So that will be available soon as well. And then we have all of our amazing top tens. Um, and a lot of our top tens are written by some of our special bloggers, like the Good Comics for Kids bloggers do our top 10 graphic novels list. Um, we have um, some of our Libro Poor Libro contributors do our top 10 uh, Latinx books. So we'll have that list coming out shortly. Uh, we've got top 10 DVDs. DVDs, audiobooks, apps. Um, what am I missing? Music. Music is new this year. I'm very excited. We have not done a top 10 music uh, list in the past, but we have a great new contributor, um, Veronica DeFazio, who put that list together for and us. I can't wait till next year because we're going to probably lip sync some of the music <laughs> titles. Right, right? Here. Yes. Next year. Yes. No, I want to. Thank the people behind the scenes. Uh, there's Julie and Kat and Alex, who without those guys, we would not look as good as we do. <laughs> yes, and uh, so remember, the list is available uh, for download both uh, on um, uh, the uh, SLJ site and uh, the Kidlit TV. And tell your friends that this whole great show has been archived. So. You know, they could watch it tonight, you know, uh, whatever. You don't want to watch the news. You can just watch this tonight. Uh, it'll be, uh, well, will it be archived tonight? It, yes, it's, oh, yes, they could watch it tonight or tomorrow. Or they could send the link out to all your friends in your holiday uh, greetings. Okay. And check back next week. I believe the November 21st is when we'll have all of those top tens and all those other special lists on the SLJ website. So come back and check out. And one more out. shout out. The artwork for the upcoming issue. Tell yes, us about that. Yes. Do you want to say a little bit about who's, who did the artwork this year for our cover? Well, um, we we talked about it, and we had we had a unanimous choice, um, and we have someone who has uh, two books on our list, and uh, we just love everything he does. Uh, but uh, we're very excited to have Christian Robinson do Terrific. our December uh, best books cover. Yes. Yes. So, remember, until next time, give a kid a book in any format. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for watching the SLJ Best of 2016 live stream, sponsored by Follett and Scholastic. And thank you for tuning in to Kidlet TV. I'm Aram Kim, and you are watching Kidlet TV.